Hey there guys, this is Ethan from There Will Be Spoilers, and I just wanted to start our podcast today with a little request. I would really love if you guys could take just a couple of minutes and rate and review us on iTunes. Most of you have probably updated to the new iOS that came out not too long ago. It's really easy to rate and review now in the app, so if you could take just a couple of minutes, shoot us you know, some feedback. We would really appreciate it. If you really like what we're doing, you can always go to patreon.com slash spoilerscast and throw us $5 a month. That gets you two extra episodes each month, so you get four sets of spoilers instead of just two and we do on those patreon only podcasts current movies some of our favorite movies there's something special that we're brewing up in the works right now for october so please take some time to check it out you throw us five bucks you can cancel anytime but we hope you won't and and rate and review we're also on twitter we're at spoilerscast patreon again is patreon.com slash spoilerscast and yeah thank you so much for listening and for your ears your listening pleasure next week we have another rundown because this is episode number 30 and the rundowns are starting to get egregious so please listen in next week and as always thank you so much Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers. This is episode number 71. My name is Matt Bazell. And my name is Ethan Knight. And we watched 1998's Saving Private Ryan. The things they Private Ryan carried. Exactly. And <laughs> it looks like it was directed by a Steven Spielberg? Spiel? No, I think it's Spielberg. Spiel. Spell, Spellberg? I don't know. I've never heard of him. He did a pretty good job, though. He probably has a pretty good future ahead of him in this directing business. Uh, you know, mediocre, I'd say. <laughs> At best. Well, <laughs> we'll check back in with him. I'm I'm sure he hasn't really done a whole lot since then, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him. One important fact about this film, though, it has now put Tom Hanks in the lead for the AFI Top 100 Most Leading Actor Appearances. Is that true? Well, he has edged out Robert Redford with True. Toy Story, Toy Story. Forrest, Forrest Gump, Forrest, and now oh yeah, Forrest Saving, Gump. Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Well, Robert Redford had All the President's Men and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance mm-hmm, Kid, so we have Tom Hanks on top here. We'll see if he can hold out the lead for the rest of the movies. Listen, I'm going to put this out here because I think it's important. Tom Hanks for president. If Since we live in a world <laughs> where if we're going to just have fucking celebrities as president, why not someone like Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks would be a great president because he's a good actor and he's a nice guy. I would follow him into battle. And would, then would you think that a good actor would make a poor president because they're just pretending? Well, right now we have a bad actor. Who is a pretty bad president? So, well, that's how logic works. If you've got a bad actor and he's a bad president, therefore a good actor would be a good president. Right. That's the, that's the tricky sticky of logic, my friend. And that's the tricky sticky of American politics and socioeconomic forces. But we digress. <laughs> Ethan, do you want to get us started off on this podcast, which is ostensibly about film? 
with a plot synopsis? Here we go. Saving Private Ryan is the story of a group of American soldiers in World War II who are tasked with finding and retrieving paratrooper James Francis Ryan from France. Ryan is the final surviving brother of a family of four. That sounds like there are only four people in his family. There are four brothers. The other three have been killed in action. Captain John Miller assembles a team of men and heads into France three days after D-Day to find Ryan and send him home, though many of the men are skeptical about their assignment, fearing that they have been sent to die to save one less than important soldier. As they make their way deeper into France, they encounter a family in a war-ravaged town. Caparzo, one of the men, attempts to help the family by taking their daughter to the nearest base as she reminds him of his niece however a sniper shoots him and though they kill the sniper he dies r.i.p vin diesel shortly after they discover a private ryan but he's not the right one disheartened the men stumble upon one of the real ryan's friends who was injured and he points them in the right direction on their way to the bridge ryan is stationed to protect they come across a machine gun base and the captain decides to take it out though his again his men are skeptical wade the medic is killed and the men plan to kill a surviving nazi pow up him their green interpreter protests and miller releases the soldier on the condition that he'll turn himself in this leads the men to have a heated fight with one attempting to desert and another threatening to kill him miller calms him down by revealing his background uh, a big secret up until that point they continue on and they make it to the bridge where ryan is stationed and though he's upset by the deaths of his brothers he refuses to leave his company behind the captain and his men decide to stay and help defend the bridge despite the bad odds they prepare it and the town for battle the germans arrive and several of the men are killed captain miller in an attempt to blow up the bridge is shot by the very nazi he set free earlier in the film however air support arrives and the nazis are defeated Upham, who's avoided most of the fighting throughout the film, captures some Germans, including the one who shot Miller. He kills him and sets the others free. As Miller dies, he tells Ryan to earn this, quote-unquote. And then the film ends in the present day with Ryan at the Normandy Memorial at the grave of Miller, where he weeps and thanks him and the other men. He then asks his wife if he has been a good man, if he's earned it, and she assures him that he has. Ryan salutes the grave as the film ends so i want to add some extra context for our listeners if they haven't seen this film it's close to three hours i think it's just shy by 10 minutes oh my god it's so fucking long this movie it's very long and we actually have two parallel bracket scenes for the opening and close we have what we will later learn is ryan going to arlington cemetery in dc it's not arlington it's not arlington it's, it's um not. No, it's in France. It's the the, the French Normandy American oh, he's soldier. Oh, he's in France? Yes, I didn't know that until today. I read a little bit about it. Wow, I, would just, I just assumed it was Arlington. Arlington, me too. Wow, good to know. But So he goes right? there with his family, and we get a very close-up of his eyes, which gives us the in, in, indication there's going to be a flashback. And then the story starts with Miller. And so you're actually led to believe that yes. this is Miller. This is old Miller. And at the end, you realize it's Ryan. So you think right. that Miller survives when, in fact, he dies at the end. Right. And so though you have those two parallel scenes. Now, the second set of parallel scenes is the D-Day Normandy. I think it's Omaha Beach invasion yeah. where it's just brutal. It's, I think, something like 37 minutes of just yeah, carnage. 
it's pretty bad. And I don't know if I'm just getting older or something, but I, I just can't handle that much gore and violence anymore in my life. It is purposely that way, I believe. Yeah, it is. But it's still very affecting to me. And that's one of the most memorable images in American history, right? Normandy invasions. Right. It's so momentous and should never have worked. I'll try not to digress too much in the military tactics of it, mm. but that Hitler thought that was a feint because there was no chance of it working. And so he didn't commit tank divisions to the beach. And that's what allowed America to get a foothold. And eventually the allies retake Europe because of it. But it's, so it's a very well-known thing that everyone sure has heard about. So that's a, one of the largest scenes in the whole film, which is paired with the other longest scene in the film, which is the last battle protecting that bridge so they can actually strike mm-hmm. into France proper and liberate Paris and eventually take Germany. So you have these two really long, exceptionally gory, exceptionally violent, exceptionally tragic scenes. And there's a, I think there's a reason for that, which we'll get into a little bit later. But Ethan, I'm interested in sort of your initial reactions to this film. I feel that my viewing this time was more critical. It's not, it's by no means a bad film, but there are more issues with it. I think this, that seeing it this time around, I've seen it many times before that I have. And some of it has to do with masculinity and, and some of the, the portrays. Um, but in, but in general, I think it's a, it's a pretty good movie and it's, and it's gory. I mean, it is, it's hard to watch it at points. And, it, and I'm probably with you in the in the purposefulness of that to the plot and the themes and everything. But yeah, it's it's this is I mean, and it's Tom Hanks again. Tom Hanks for president. Well, maybe it's helpful here if I start talking about the pivotal scene. We can get to our yeah. Thesis. Let's lead, let's lead into that. So the scene I chose comes actually pretty close to the end of the film before that last major battle for the bridge, mm-hmm. where Tom Hanks and Mike the sergeant I forget his last name, but. They're having this back and forth where Miller has fairly well decided by this point that they're going to stay. And he asks Mike pretty much to be his conscience here and says, look, you know, does this matter? Why are we here? It feels like we've slipped out of the reality into surrealism. And Mike agrees and says, look, we have two options here. We can stay or go. And I can see reason in both. But if we stay, we might actually commit something worthwhile to this war effort we might actually accomplish a mission and maybe we'll earn our right to go home which i thought was very powerful because it's something miller's been struggling with the entire film when they go out of their way to take out enemy entrenched machine gun positions which you've got eight guys attacking a machine gun an entrenched machine gun that's nearly suicide and they only lose Wade the medic during that thing they're all mm-hmm. they can't that's what his men start to rebel against him for it's because they don't understand the purpose and he says you know our mission is not just to save ryan our mission is to win the war right yeah and so he's been struggling with the idea of mission as the single man but then also trying to win the war and so i thought this this scene that comes you know very shortly before the end of the film i thought it just sort of nicely encapsulated that that there is something maybe not redemptive but there's purpose or you can find purpose here and so why don't we just give it a listen it's a pretty short scene yeah let's do it what are your orders Sergeant? we have crossed some strange boundary here the world has taken a turn for the surreal clearly but the question still stands i don't know what do you think 
You don't want to know what I think. No, Mike, I do. Well, part of me thinks the kid's right. What's he done to deserve this? He wants to stay here, fine. Let's leave him and go home. Yeah. But another part of me thinks, what if by some miracle we stay and actually make it out of here? Someday we might look back on this and decide that saving Private Ryan was the one decent thing we were able to pull out of this whole god-awful shitty mess. That's what I was thinking, sir. Like you said, Captain, we do that, we all earn the right to go home. Oh, brother. Okay, so as you heard, Mike just lays it out. And I think this is the most overt the film has been at this point, saying, look, there is here's the value. Here's some one might call it a thesis. Right. And so for my one thesis, <laughs> I said lead us into it. what a transition, Matt. Oh yeah. So this film goes to extreme lengths to get us to believe that there is no redemptive value in war. We can think of the prisoner that Upham saves that kills Miller and several others. We can think of the senseless death and dying. We can think of Wade dying last moments, calling for his mother. Think of people's body parts, vivid gore, and just sort of a tragic existence. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, you know, so perhaps there isn't redemptive value in war, right? But that instead, we need to choose to live well beyond the war if we're to have hope in life itself. Wars mm-hmm. are ends to political means, right? I think it's Clausewitz that says war is a continuation by po- of politics by other means. And what are you fighting that war for if not the hope, we're being optimistic here, the hope that you can attain some kind of peace and prosperity after the fact? Mm-hmm. And so I think what this, this film asks you to say is, you know, it says the obvious thing, war is hell. But at the same time, there is value in what you do afterward. And that's the whole Miller conversation with Ryan his dying words, earn this. And he says earlier, this guy better cure cancer or something. But by the end, you don't think yeah. that's really what what's at stake here. It's just that live well in peacetime, you know, have a family, have that redemptive value of bringing life into the world as opposed to death. And so I, it's not such a, it's not as complex as certain theses we've had in the past. But I think this yeah. film, ha- one of its faults, I think, is that it has a fairly simplistic message. It, although this is interesting because the watching it this time around i i very i read it very differently than well maybe not very differently but i read that final earn this a lot differently than you did and i think that's one of the big central questions here i mean ryan asks it at the end like did i i mean he basically says did i earn this was i a good man whatever but the film i think is kind of ambivalent about that because it doesn't give us anything of his later life we just see him as an old man and obviously he's got enough money to go to france well he's got a bunch of family right he's got a bunch of kids and grandkids right yeah and i mean that's one way of setting that up but i i think maybe the film is kind of ambivalent um about 
the idea of earning that. I mean, because I think what this film is asking us about is is really worth. And it and I mean the one of the questions that I mean they ask it I think explicitly in the film like is saving one life worth you know losing a bunch of others. And there's even points that they say I would save a Caparzo over ten Ryans. Yeah, and of course we sort of see them not maybe feel that way anymore. And I think that 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 sort of is a metaphorical version of a maybe a larger question, right? Like, do we do we send you know, and I'm not a war, a World War II scholar in any way, shape, or form. You know, and I'm you even know more than I do just in general. I didn't know that a captain was higher than a sergeant. I don't know. <laughs> sergeant sounds important. Captain sounds like you know what. Anyway, so I think this film asks in a larger sense, like, do we sacrifice a bunch of Americans to save like I don't know all the Jews in the world and like a whole bunch of Europe and you know possibly all the rest of the Americans um is that like you know is losing four four sons you know these families that like like Ryan's family you know she's lost most of her sons um but you know it saved the free world you know basically uh, through her sacrifice you know so so it asks that about worth and it were asks about sacrifice but I think it kind of answers them in in a strangely ambivalent way. I think the film guides you towards that rather than beats you over the head, which is kind of different than you're reading entirely, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this film doesn't have a whole lot of play with ambivalence. I think the fact that they just show you there with his family and kids, to me that points more to the idea that it's not important what he did with his life. But the fact that he chose to live it and is still has this gravity toward the situation, he respects the sacrifice people have made for him. Well, and, and maybe the fact that he has the ability to have that life, right? Right. I mean, that's sort of what the, what I mean, that's the American mythos of why we fought the war, to save democracy in the world and keep the free world free or whatever, right? Yeah, I think you're supposed to associate with old Ryan in that point when he salutes the grave and sees the flag at the end and said, and you say, you know, am I getting the most out of this life that people have laid down their own for it? Right. And that's a super well-trodden patriotic nationalistic idea or concept, but it rings so true for so many people, especially with world war two, which we take to be this mythical war, right? Good versus yeah. evil. And it's obviously far more complicated than that. But people literally see it as a struggle of good and evil. America and the Allies, the yeah. underdogs, stop the insatiable tyrant Hitler, right? Right. And I think this film does a really good job of of demythicizing, I don't know if that's a word, but it's a word now, the war. Because you you see these men, not you know, the, the ostensible good guys... Uh, not doing great things, and good deeds go, you know, the good deeds are punished. Letting the Nazi go free instead of killing him ends up killing uh, uh, Miller. And and the same thing with Vin Diesel. He tries to help that girl and is punished for it. He gets shot and killed. If he would have just left her and followed orders, he would not have died. Yeah, there's a lot of senseless death, which I think is is trying to do what you say in demythicizing this war, but it only deals with it on the micro. And by the end of the film, they're back to that mythological idea of 
we can earn our right to go home, protecting the free world, saving this person. And they're thinking in these grand terms, right? They're quoting yeah. Abraham Lincoln and saying, this is, you know, such sacrifice and value to defend the free world, things like that. And so I think it's just back in the same problem that it's sort of motions or gestures at disabusing the audience of, but never quite fall through. I, I don't know if it's, if it's the cultural moment we're in right now, but some of those later conversations about like earning the right to go home really just didn't ring as sincere as they felt in the past, especially because most of the men don't earn the right to go home. They are dead in France, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know. I mean, so maybe it's, maybe it's my sort of cynical reading of it this time around because, you know, (laughs) the way the world is right now, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm particularly optimistic about this film's worldview. I think, it falls into some pretty sticky tropes about war and particularly about World War II, but it's a yeah. good story and it's interesting. And if you're into a lot of action, it certainly gives you a solid hour's worth of nothing but gunfights. But then yes. you have people like Upham failing to save his friend as he's getting stabbed by a Nazi oh my God. in yeah. that horribly intimate moment. Then you have, you know, the murder of innocence or the senseless death of other people to save this one guy for the concept. And so I think one of the things that's put in tension in this film is the idea that is the idea of giving this mother one final surviving son more important than putting these guys elsewhere in the war effort or keeping these guys alive or not sending them on this mission, which can be seen as something of a suicide mission through the infested the occupied regions of france yeah so i don't know i think it's it's something good to meditate on and and ultimately i think the listeners will have their own interpretation of this and i'm not really sure exactly where i fall on this i think it's far more complicated than the film makes it but at the same time it complicates itself in interesting ways that i think is worth continuing to think about yeah, and I mean, I, I guess my big takeaway from this, from from my mo- most recent viewing, is that the film, I think, is a lot less celebratory and jingoistic and patriotic than it feels in moments, because I think a lot of those moments can get away from you because they feel really good. I mean, I, my friend and I were watching it, and she was like, all right, cue the American melodrama, 25 minutes of that at the beginning of the scene where you see the typists and the cars and, like, you know, but that's contrasted with the the really violent violence. And so I think, like, it's easy to feel good about the feel-good moments, but I think the film maybe does ask you to question that a little bit. Well, I think one feel-good moment that everyone probably feels a surge of pride or nationalistic identity is when those warplanes come in to demolish the tiger tank which is like the biggest german tank and they talk about this pretty accurately in the film how american weaponry is just not able to take out these big tanks and they're divorced from their own armor because the beaches have were a clusterfuck right yeah and so you see those planes come in and you're like yeah and i was like oh no let's you know i'm glorifying this violence here Right, But at the same time, you kind of can't get help but swept up in it. And I think predominantly this film is actually pretty solemn about the yeah, war I think so. and the things that yeah. happen. So it's not like a feel-good America, good guys mowing down Germans. You're actually seeing right. the Americans kind of getting the bad end of the stick in this fight for the most of the film. And these are some of the most bloody 
engagements, you do the beach of Normandy scene, you're getting a good idea of that high casualty rate and the fact that it was disordered and very few people got out of it in the first waves. But I think the idea of this memorial or the film as memorial has its own problems because it's helping mythologize this war further. So it's it's more complicated even than I thought, uh, you know, three hours ago when I was thinking about this myself. Well, why don't we turn to our three questions and maybe we can help disentangle some of these things we're having trouble with. Why don't we, Matt? No reason. That was aggr- I, that was aggressive. I'm sorry. I was, I was immediately <laughs> on the defense. I don't know. So let me ask this first question. Do we care? Now I'm being aggressive. Yeah, I don't like it. Oh, I'm friendly and round. You're mean and very large uh, um <laughs> yeah no i mean i think we do i mean especially in terms of 1998 i mean i guess i don't know my war movies but i don't know when the last i mean i don't know that i can name another world war ii off movie off the top of my head that was before 1998 that would have been in the popular call i mean yeah so i think it yeah there it, have been care. a lot of i think korean war films yeah. couple world war one I'm trying to think Vietnam. of the big, yeah, but 19, yeah, by 98, you're definitely having a lot of the Vietnam. I'm trying to think of many other huge blockbuster World War II films, and I don't think you're getting them before 98 so much. No, not that I can remember. The other big World War II film for me is Inglorious Bastards, right? Or you're getting these films that are not about, that are not like war style movies, right? You have a lot of films that are situated around the war. Yeah. But not necessarily the conflict itself. So obviously, things like Schindler's List is not being included in yeah. this conversation right. because that's happening. Sophie's choice outside, right? And these are not about the conflict necessarily. They're about incredibly important things. During, I think the important exception we're missing is Bridge on the River Kwai. That's nineteen fifty-seven. Oh, yeah. I thought that might have been a Vietnam or not. Sorry, not a Vietnam, a, a Korean Korea. War film. But we will be watching that. Sometime in the future, it's one of the big ones also. But again, that's also in the 50s. We're going jumping from the 50s to the 90s. So, you know, and this, again, is like, a, you know, it, I think it gets played or presented as pretty jingoistic and, you know, yay America, even though maybe it's not. And also, it's just a long-ass movie. And all, and it's got the violence. The violence was pretty ground... I mean, I don't know about groundbreaking, but it, that raised a lot of attention. I kept thinking during that first scene especially... Looking at the gore and carnage, I was saying to my wife, I said, this probably really messes people up in 1998 to see this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. And I remember not terribly long ago, they did this film. It was on ABC uh, in the like primetime spot. You know, they did it as a TV movie and they did it totally uned- unedited. And that was kind of a big deal. And that wasn't terribly long ago. Um, probably five years ago or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, and I think it gets held, I mean, it's on the list. It gets held up as a as a great World War II film. And it's got President Hanks. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I think I agree that I care about this film. I think we care about this film as a culture, as a society. But yeah. I think there are, as I mentioned earlier, there are also potentially some problematic things in the fact that we care about it because it can help create that unassailable or so high up on a pedestal idea of world war ii and that can lead to difficulties i'm thinking specifically of if you think of this war as good versus evil what's to stop you from thinking about other wars as struggles of 
good versus evil and the end of the free world. And so, you know, it's like setting a weird precedence for this kind of thing. Our next question is actually, what do we owe this film? What do we owe this film? I mean, the the Normandy scene is pretty iconic. I mean, it's become a big, I mean, it's been parodied. It's been, you know, it's been imitated and yeah, recreated and imitated in all sorts of different media. I, I really do think that this comes in a moment where, you know, there, there are how many trillion billion World War II video games that come out not long I was going to say that Medal of Honor and Call of Duty, the first games of these, owe are so much to this idea. Yeah, and there's a there's a Medal of Honor game that... It's called Normandy, isn't it? Or European Assault? Well, there's that one too, but there's one that I remember it came out and it was a big deal when it did. I had a... That was back when I was current with all my video game shit. And uh, it was... I mean, it pretty accurately recreates that entire first scene. I mean, to the point where you're in the, the what is it, the boat or whatever, and the people are puking. That like two men puke and you fall in the water. I mean, it was... I, you know, the copyright thing is and let's kinda... let's mention also the the newest call of duty is going to be world war ii again mm. so certainly we owe a lot of video game shooter territory to this which i think obviously is not specifically what this film had in mind like i don't think it just yeah. wants to glorify violence i think it wants to show violence no. for a purpose like we mentioned but we certainly owe it that and i think we mentioned earlier and do we care a lot of world war ii films come out three, four, five years right after this. Like U-571, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. The list kind of goes on from there. And then you know, in the late 2000s, you get things like Valkyrie and things like that also. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards is very obviously linked to this film. Uh, you're right, Valkyrie. I mean, there's tons of these things. So, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to get. And it's a Spielberg film. And oh, is that how you Spielberg. say it? Yeah, I think I. You know what? I just read it phonetically on the internet. I haven't seen this guy before. They they say that he did this movie called Et. I've never seen Et, but Et. You know what? I re. I honestly got rewatched Et the other day, and it's about some thing with mange. This weird man with mange. It's a a weird little dude who doesn't speak English and waddles around. He's naked a lot of the film around children, which is uncomfortable. Just eating Reese's pieces like a. Yeah, he's not a healthy. He drinks beer. It's it's kind of fucked up, and I don't really know what is going on there. And no Somehow wonder it turned was, Drew Barrymore into a child, right? And like, thank God it uh, was um, you know like a very small film that didn't you know make any money because it was borderline porn <laughs> of a weird a weird uh, way. <laughs> I don't. Know. I sure hope we don't have to watch at sometime in the future on AFI's top one hundred list. Oh my God! Is Et on this list? Et is absolutely on this list. Oh God! Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to and then play this in as a flashback. Yeah. So I think we'll just turn to our third question, Ethan. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get it out of here. And does this film hold up? Yeah, it does. It does. It looks really good. The story is as interesting and nuanced and fresh as it was then. Tom President Hanks is uh, as always fantastic yeah i mean i I think it would be you'd be hard pressed to argue that it doesn't so i agree i think there are so many actors who i probably don't know their names of but you see them on site and say like wow yeah 
there's a bunch of character actors and minor roles, mm-hmm. supporting cast that is just so recognizable. And of yes. course, you've got also a pretty star-studded leading cast. And even like people who are on camera for five minutes, you're like, wait, is that like Ted Danson or is or like really important yes! people? Yeah, my so. friend literally said today. She, my friend Joy, shout out to Joy. She and I were watching it, and she's like, "Is that Ted Danson?" Like, honest to God, and I was like, "I think it is." Yeah, so it's it's really star studded in a, in a way you expect a Spielberg film to be, but at the same yeah. time, we should be, and I certainly am, very concerned that there are no black people in this film. There are no black people. There are almost no women. We're not going to see many women on the front lines, which this film is absolutely about, because we haven't even established you know, forward and operating positions here. So that is historically understandable, but there were so many African-American soldiers, so many Hispanic soldiers during this time, especially for the Americans, that it's frankly ridiculous that you don't even see a single one anywhere. Yeah. And I think that some of these representations of masculinity would be a little more nuanced today, or at least a little different. Uh, This is something I mentioned at at the start of the pod. That yeah, I think that you know the only time we see, you know, we see, we see a lot of men choking back manly tears very stoically, and the one man that we see like that loses it is the hysterical wrong Ryan, who you know like the, the moment he comes onto the screen, they're like, I knew he was an asshole. Like they, right. you know, you're he's not sort supposed of to like commiserate with him. Yeah, he's like a he's I don't know if he not really a fop, but sort of. So there's something about that, you know, that. Ugh. And there's, I mean, even the way they talk about and treat women, which is likely historically accurate, but it can kind of glorified in a good old boy sort of way. Like, that's how the 40s, yes, ah. Well, they also kind of push back a little bit when several people die calling for their mothers. Yeah. So they are trying to maybe mess with that masculinity idea a little bit, but you're right. A little bit. It It is overwhelmingly macho man. Yeah, they're not they're not changing any uh, they're not pushing pushing any boundaries really with the presentation of American masculinity here. If anything, they're buying into quite a bit of the stereotypical stuff that I think if this were a film made this year would would be different. Not necessarily drastically different, but definitely different. So yeah, I mean, but but in general, I mean again, these are a lot of smaller things. That, that they just show how much the world has changed since 1998, which now is what? Is that almost 20 years ago? Pretty close. Oh, fuck me. Oh, I'm, we're getting old, Matt. We're getting old. Times are ticking. And I think with that, we're going to close this episode out before I waste away in front of my microphone. Right. I'm practically bones. So in order to, <laughs> to preserve the Crypt Keeper across the internet from me, I've been Matt Bazell. <laughs> And as always, I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. You know what, dear listener, there will be spoilers today. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints 
likes, hate mail, and maybe a compliment or two. Remember, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps. Thank you so much. Droogs, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar trying to make up our Razudocs what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold Milk Plus, Milk Plus Velocet, or Synthemesque, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence.